Welcome to Future Docs Podcast. My name is Pedro Mizani. I'm a family physician, the chief clinical officer here at AC Medical and the co-host of your Future Docs Podcast. And I am your other co-host, Dr. Valen Rosas, a career development intern at AC Medical. As always, we invite you to watch the video version of this podcast by visiting youtube.com forward slash acmedicalorg. Today's episode, episode 42, is completing rotations through interview season. Securing interviews during match can be stressful and time consuming. Some may even say treat it like a full-time job. But have you considered what you should do if you do not secure any interviews? What if you do not match? It's time to secure an alternative plan. In our resident selection committee panel webinar recorded live last week, September 28th, which I highly recommend and invite you to view on youtube.com forward slash acmedicalorg, two program directors and one resident selection committee member all voiced their need to see ongoing US clinical experiences during the interview season. Two of the PDs also said that they will highly consider those who they know and have seen in clinical settings, which is echoed by most other PDs. Completing more clinical rotations throughout the interview season will keep your US clinical experience up to date, keep your residency application relevant, may even land you an interview and a possible higher ranking on their rank order list and prepare you for what may come next if you don't match. Listen in and learn from Dr. Mazzani how completing clinical rotations through the interview season may benefit you. First question for Dr. Mazzani, what rotations should future docs be considering right now? Thank you, Dr. Rosas. The gauge that I'd like to use is what our competition is doing. And the number one most formidable competitors are U.S. medical seniors, and they are in their clinical electives right now during the interview season. So as they're going through their clinical electives, they're also attending their mostly virtual interviews. And so any clinical rotation that resembles those would be very, very beneficial for any residency candidate. And so those include both inpatient, outpatient, and subspecialties. But the ones that are probably the most effective are those with attending physicians that have some sort of a connection with their local teaching hospitals and residency programs. So at AC Medical, we call those PGY1 Connect clinical sites. Those are clinical sites where our members have secured residency interviews in the past and some that have matched. Uh, we have uh, uh, over 100 of our clinical sites that are labeled as PGY1 Connect. And the other types are audition rotations. Those are where you are directly doing clinical experiences with decision makers, such as program directors, residents, chief residents, residency faculty. And then uh, postgraduate sub-internships, those are where you are doing clinical rotations directly with graduate medical education. Again, these are decision makers as well. Thank you for that, Dr. Mazzani. Second question, should future docs even be considering clinical rotations at the moment? I think you absolutely should because, again, your number one competition is in their clinical rotations. They are the U.S. medical seniors. They do not stop their clinical rotation just because the interviews are happening. This is a phenomena that we only see amongst our medical graduates. And so once the application season starts, majority of medical graduates just stop doing any sort of clinicals and they just wait as if the interviews are going to come and they don't have to answer the question, which is, uh, what are you doing right now? But continuous patient contact is critical. 
two programs. So now that you are in a good position to secure interviews, it's really important that you prepare for these interviews by knowing how to answer these very, very key questions. But more importantly, what are they worried about by asking you questions such as what are you doing right now? Yes, I can see that applications, they really look to see if um, you're keeping yourself busy during this free time. So if my application is already certified, how do these extra rotations benefit me? If your application is already certified, there's three main ways that this is going to benefit you. Number one, you're going to continue to be in contact with patients. Number two, anyone who is participating in the match has to assume that they're not going to match, which means that the only opportunity that you'll have if you are unmatched is the match week's supplemental offer and acceptance program. And during that time, the only documents that you can update are your letters of recommendation, your personal statement, and your medical student performance evaluation. And the best way to update your letter of recommendation is from more recent clinical activity, which you would be doing during the months of October, November, December, January, February, and March. And so those six months, you don't want it to be a gap in your application. You don't want it to be a gap during your interview. You want it to be filled at least half of that time with patient contact. You can either do it directly through your medical school if you're still a medical student. You can do it through AC Medical, and uh, we can set you up through any of our over 400 clinical affiliates in clinical uh, specialties that will match your application and what you're, what you're a candidate for. If SOAP is the backup plan, how do I signify to programs what I have been doing since certification? Well, if your SOAP is your backup plan, you certainly don't want it to be known to the programs that SOAP is your backup plan. Programs have to have the image to, of you that you've been ready for September 29th, 2021, for the 22 match, and you've been preparing for this for, for months, and uh, you were prepared, you submitted your application, and here we are. So if SOAP is your plan, you certainly want to keep that a secret. You do not want the programs to know because that usually is a sign that the candidate was ill-prepared, ill-advised, or just basically didn't know what the system is about, or there is something seriously wrong with their application in the form of a red flag. And so you don't want to let the programs know that. However, in you know, just between you and, and, and us, if your plan is supplemental offer and acceptance program, then certainly this is the time that you do not want to waste and being in clinicals is going to be absolutely critical. In previous webinars, you've spoken on the fact that we should treat interview season as a full-time job, creating a spreadsheet to track all programs, apply to relevant information so that I can follow up and discuss. If this is the case, what are your suggestions to juggle rotations and contacting programs? Juggling rotations and contacting programs, it all depends on how many programs you initially apply to. And so some of us have applied to, you know, just a handful of programs, maybe 50, maybe 100. Others have applied to hundreds of programs. And so I think it has a lot to do with uh, what are you contacting the programs to update them on and getting them to look at your application. I think the timing is critical and uh, you don't want to contact them too early. You want to have a really good thing to talk about. And one of the best things to talk about uh, when you contact the program is either if there's an updated USMLE performance hopefully you've already passed everything before you applied but let's say that you didn't maybe you want to update them about that another really good reason to contact the program is if you have an updated letter of recommendation from somebody who is high up within the the, the chain of command and the chain of decision making amongst residency programs so if you have a letter of recommendation from that individual then there will be behooves you to to contact the programs and let them know how do you juggle between rotations and contacting all programs it's tough 
because during your clinicals, you're probably going to be committed at somewhere between 20 to 30 hours per week. And you'll have another, you know, you'll have another 30 hours to, to commit to calling programs. So maybe you can start with emailing at all at once first, and then calling all of the programs that you emailed until somebody picks up the phone. And that's why it becomes a full-time job because sometimes we can't get to the end of this list of, of all the programs that we applied to. Certainly you may want to go and start with programs that you've received denials from, because if you're going to mess up on that first phone call, that'd be a really good time to mess up because the program's already denied you. And, and there's no, nothing worse than that could happen than that. And so you get some practice. And then from that point forward, then you, you know, after you've talked about five, 10 programs and you didn't want to contact those that you have not received any communication from yet. So that's one of the ways that you can juggle uh, all the programs you apply to in your clinical rotations. Do you recommend emailing and calling? And how often should you be doing that? You know, email open rate is probably somewhere between two to 5%. And so 95 to 98% of the emails that are sent out, they're just not going to be open. So you have to know that. And so you would, you would but you still want to kind of do the same thing because you still want to email the program. So as you're, as you're, sleeping you want to get the emails got to do their work and and when you call you can reference the email we're going to have some really good webinars on the and podcasts when it comes to how do i contact programs during the 2022 match season but that's kind of how you kind of hedge your bets a little bit okay thank you for that dr mazani looking forward to those webinars and next question is from one of our members the question is at this time i am not entirely worried about clinical rotations as I am working at a clinic currently as a medical scribe, would this be sufficient? You know, I, I get it. We have to make ends meet. And if a clinical scribe is, is the job that you secured and that's what's putting food on the table, then that's what's putting food on the table. So I'm not going to fault you for that. You have to be realistic though. Uh, your job description as a medical scribe should not be more than you just in one way communication. You're receiving the information and you're typing. And so it is secretarial. Uh, now, of course, you, you will learn passively by just hearing what happens. But technically speaking, you're not supposed to be speaking with the patient. You're not supposed to be sharing any opinions whatsoever. You're not insured. You're not supposed to be examining. You're not supposed to be taking a history, vitals, none of that. So is it residency relevant? Maybe a little bit. You know, it's, it's a scribe position. You're becoming familiar with EMR and, and generally how communication goes. But it's a whole different ballgame when you are the one communicating. And, and putting all of those words that you type into action, and those words are actually yours. So quite different. A lot of us can, can write well, we can type fast, but that doesn't mean that we can actually handle a stressful situation and, and go through an entire HMP and be able to present cases to our attending physician. So the closer you can come to what a senior medical student does, the better of an interviewee you're going to be, the more confident of a candidate you're going to be, and the better your chances are going to be in, in having decision makers around you consider you seriously because if you do put yourself in clinical settings where the attending physician you're there to impress them to a point where they would pick up the phone and contact their local residency programs that's that's what you really want to be doing and you want to give that attending physician the ammunition that they need to be able to speak really well on your behalf if all the physician is going to say is that you were their scribe and i would consider them in, you know very very highly that logic doesn't really make sense because they haven't really put you in a setting where where you would be challenged to do all the things that most of the PGY-1 interns would need to do. So would you recommend just including them in the personal statement or uh, even ask them to write a letter of recommendation at the place that you work? You could do that. But again, you have to consider how residency relevant this experience is and how does it 
you know, size up to what a U.S. medical senior is doing. If a U.S. medical senior is not scribing, you should not be scribing. So what would you consider a strong clinical experience? I would consider a strong clinical experience one that enables you to not only take a history and assist with physical exams, but it puts the physician in a position where they have to constantly quiz you as if you were a resident. They would want to know whether you can prioritize differentials. Uh, do you know how to research topics? Uh, do you know how to deal with stressful conditions uh, and situations? Do, do you know how to uh, handle both the patient and their families and still just keep the equilibrium within the clinic or, or inpatient settings? I would want a clinical experience that puts me in the middle of other residents and next to program directors and associate program directors. I think it's very, very stressful to be around program directors and associate program directors and clinical rotations. So the sooner you get to experience that, the better it is. So your peer kind of drops a little bit, right? And, and also if they can see that you're putting your best foot forward, then maybe they'll consider you for an interview. And this happens all the time. The, the webinar that you were talking about last week, uh, both of the program directors have taken our AC medical members after their clinical rotations, many of them during the interview season. Rotations during the interview season is critical. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Thank you for your, sharing your expertise with us, Dr. Mizani. And my last question, should I repeat the same clinical rotations or should I try other rotations? Depends. If the clinical rotation is one that you are around decision makers and the decision makers have told you, hey, we need to see you for another four weeks. We really like how you, you performed the first four. I think it'll be really good if you come over here for another month. Then I think you should take that pretty seriously and go back over there. If it's just a private attending physician who, you know, maybe they just love having you there and you're a great help and they want to see you come back so that you could help uh, fill a, a, a vacancy of, a, of an employee who's not there, then I would, I would really reconsider going back over to that, that attending physician. We try to watch out for those here at AC Medical, and certainly if anything like that happens, we want to know about it. But that's one of the reasons why we always, with the exception of audition rotations, audition rotations are those where you're auditioning. You've applied to that program and you're going over there to show them your clinical skills. With the exception of those, with the exception of postgraduate sub-internships, we always want to see you move from one clinical site to another every four weeks. It's better for your letters of recommendation. It's better for you to get exposed to different personalities. You know, the more connections that you make, the, the better uh, your chances are in the match. And how long do these audition rotations uh, usually take? And can you tell us more about it? Audition rotations are typically four weeks. There are some clinical sites that are just two weeks, but typically they're four weeks because it takes about four weeks for a physician to feel comfortable either drafting a letter of recommendation or recommending you to their colleagues. And that's pretty normal. So I would say four weeks is, uh, is a good time for you to dedicate to these uh, clinical experiences during the, the interview season. And you would need to do probably three of them. And so I would recommend that you do one in maybe November, another one that, that spans December and January, and another one in February, right before the rank orderless submission date. Thank you for that information, Dr. Mazzani. You're welcome. And this concludes our Future Docs podcast episode. If you are listening to this podcast, be sure to watch the video form on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash AC Medical Org. And if you have any questions with regards to this particular podcast, or if you want to see, you know, if you have any promotions going on on, on, on clinical experiences, then go to acmedical.org forward slash promos. 
and see what you can find there. We have a, a, a brand new instant booking system where we transfer all of the savings back over to, to our members. And, and there's clinical blocks right now starting as low as $250 a week. So that makes it pretty affordable. Um, and you get to uh, experience a lot of different PGY1 Connect clinical sites so that you can build your network. And I think that that's really good both for your pocket and as well as utilizing your time very effectively. So if you have any other questions, please send us an email at podcast at acmedical.org or visit our website, acmedical.org. As always, thank you for your time, Dr. Mazzani. And for our future docs, we will catch you next week. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosas. Everybody have a great day.